I want to uh, go ahead and say happy Memorial Day to you as well. And, of course, the piles are always on my heart on this day. Uh, <clears throat> what a privilege and an honor it is to live in our country. Sometimes we look around. It doesn't take much travel outside uh, this country to realize uh, we still live in a very, very good place. Uh, but like, uh, like we are personally, we've got some, uh, uh, work to do on ourselves, don't we? So the book of Romans is going to remind us of that. Uh, just welcome all of our live stream folks, uh, from all over the country. Uh, thank you so much for joining us as well as, uh, of course we have another assembly in the fellowship center. Hey guys, glad to see y'all are over there, uh, awake and everything. You're doing good. You're doing good. Uh, our scripture reader, uh, Benjamin Barker, come on up. Now, I understand you like soccer. You enjoy soccer and watching ball games. Yes, sir. I, I'm so tempted, uh, Tommy, but I won't mention any ball games that happened recently between our teams. Anyway, that's uh, thank you. Uh, and you just. What, finished seventh grade, I think? Yes, sir. All right. Man, you talk or getting on up. That's good. Be like your daddy. Thank you for being willing to share with us. I appreciate you reading our scripture for us today. Romans 3:21 through 25. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness has been given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of anointment through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Romans 3:21 through 25. Thank you, young man. Appreciate it so much. Uh, I don't think when I was that age, I would be standing up in front of a big crowd of people reading the Bible. And uh, but uh, our 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 young men and young women are up here every week, and I appreciate it so very very much. Well, uh, we're back in the Romans. You know, we took a little break last uh, week with our special speaker, uh, and I I told uh, Polly Gilbert this morning that I know that. I would not be as good as last week's speaker, uh, since it was her grandson. And, uh, but, uh, we are so thankful, by the way, that for, uh, for Gilbert coming and sharing with us. And, uh, he's always been close to our heart. We appreciate him stepping in here and preaching. Uh, several folks are gradually getting back from a variety of things. Uh, Bill Smith, good to see you here, brother. Glad to have you. I know that, uh, you've been out and, uh, others that have been, uh, out while well, we're glad you're back, whether it's from sickness or traveling or whatever. Thank you uh, for being here. Romans chapter two. Uh, let's kind of let's kick back in here. The book of Romans. You remember in the very first sermon about Romans, we talked about that in in one sixteen and seventeen that the gospel was the power of God to save, and that in the gospel a righteousness of God. Verse seventeen. Uh, is seen or revealed. He uses the word revealed. And basically, the curtain gets pulled back when the gospel is preached, and everybody has that aha moment. Oh, that's how God saves people. 
All right, because when the story of Jesus is preached and people understand how God can save man by grace through Christ and still satisfy his own law, there's that wow, that's how that happened. And so the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Now, the reason there's such a need, as Alan explained uh, uh, in, the, in, in chapter 1, is that God's wrath is being revealed and poured out because of the sinfulness of man. Even man who had nothing but creation should look at the creation and say, there's a God. And yet, they didn't do it and suppress the truth or held down truth. By the way, that still happens today. People hold down truth. They don't want to submit to it. They want to change it. And as a result, immorality just starts being rampant. And sinfulness and, and pride and all those things just started. He mentioned all those sins there in Romans chapter 1. And so God's wrath is revealed out against that. And he says that, that therefore because men do that and they rebel against God, he says, uh, verse uh, 20 of chapter 1, so that men are without, what's the word? Anybody know? Excuse. Say that with me. Excuse. Men are without excuse. Now, in chapter 2, he's going to get the rest of man. Chapter 1, he kind of gets the pagan man. Chapter 2, he's going to get the Jew and the moral man. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, You therefore have no, what's our word? Excuse. You have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. In other words, basically, have you ever seen somebody do that? They're going to get up and tell you how to do everything, but they're violating it themselves. That's how I feel every Sunday when I preach, by the way. There's always that gap between what you preach ideally from the Word of God and how you live. And you're trying to keep up, but you never quite get there, right? But... You see, people, these, these Jewish leaders were doing, they're up here, they're preaching and condemning all these folks, but at the same time, they're breaking the same law that they were. And he says, look, you're without excuse. He says in verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed. You're storing up. Anybody store up stuff? Like if I went to your house and opened a closet door, what would happen? Would stuff fall out? I mean, some of you are stores more than others. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, you're putting it back and you're storing it. Can you imagine storing up things that are harmful to you? Storing up anger. Storing up the wrath of God. You're storing that up. That that's what they were doing because they were stubborn and they were unrepentant in their heart. Then, and it doesn't matter, he says, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. Verse uh, uh, 14, or I'm sorry, verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. He doesn't do it. Now, this is a little bit of a shocking statement to the Jews that were there because they've been told all their life they're special people. And they're chosen. And they were, and they were used for a certain reason. But look, that did not put them in a situation where they are more favorable. 
There were some advantages, but you know what? When it comes down to it, everybody's either saved or lost by the same thing. You're lost by sin, you're saved by Jesus. It's all the same, no matter who you are or what your background is from. So he tells them this, that that this thing is not a matter of being a Jew. It's not a matter of being a Gentile. It's not a matter of just being a good moral man. Everybody has the same problem. Look here. Sin does not make you bad. It makes you dead. Christ doesn't make you just make you better. He makes you alive. So we're talking about going from death to life. And so he's condemning the whole world because they've either violated what they knew in their own hearts or they violated the very words that were written to them as a Jew. But either way, everybody has the same problem. They've sinned and they're without excuse. Now, in chapter 3, as he's wrapping up this idea of man's sinfulness, especially for the Jew who had a hard time believing he was really going to be condemned. He says that no matter how how immoral and how sinful they were, that will not nullify God's faithfulness. God's going to do something for mankind regardless of mankind's sinfulness. He's going to make some righteousness available. He's going to make justification available. But it's not going to be about what we do. We can't do anything about our sin. You know, righteousness nor sinfulness is a progression of things that lead to an end in terms of being saved. You sin, you die. One time. When you're saved, you're saved. You're justified. One time. You don't grow in justification. Now, we will grow in holiness. We'll grow in learning to be like Jesus. But we don't grow in terms of of being justified. That's declared one time for man at the cross by Jesus Christ. Now, In chapter 3, the Jew's going to ask this question. Now, here's, here's, by the way, here's a little teaching thing that Paul does all through the book. You'll see him. He'll ask a question and he'll answer it. He'll ask a question, he'll answer it. Look here in chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then is there being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Question? He's going to answer it. Verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? He's going to ask a question. He's going to answer it. Then uh, later, later he does the same thing in chapter 3, verse 27. Where then is boasting? He's going to ask the question. He's going to answer it. Uh, he's going to do the same thing in chapter 6. Uh, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? He asks the question. He's going to answer it. On and on you'll see through the whole book this method of how Paul is following their thinking. So he anticipates their question, writes the question down, and then answers it. Okay? This is part of how he teaches so he asked him, uh, uh, what advantage then is there being a Jew? If we're all uh, lost, then what advantage? He said, well, look, man, that was a lot of great advantages. You got the written word of God. You had instruction to lead you to the right place. You just didn't follow it. But you had some advantages. Yet everybody is condemned. The law 
The Ten Commandments, the law of works that says, let's keep, 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 keep this, does not lead to you being right with God. It taught us some things. It made it clear when we did sin, we could see it easier. But since no one is perfect, guess what? We all have the same problem. We're all on the same road of destruction. That's why he writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as is it written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and they've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Run and ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The world's in bad shape. Let me just say this right now. I think the other thing that's happened to us as a culture is just exactly what happened to them at this last statement. There is no fear of God before their eyes. When I see some of the things that are just said publicly, whether social media or on TV, and it's just like, there's no fear of God. When the filthiness that comes out of our mouths, uh, disgracing God and His Word and other people, I'm like, there's no fear of God. Have men totally lost fear of God? Yeah, they have. And what happens, the result of that? They go down a road of destruction. And there is no hope in and of themselves. They can't do anything about it. They've lost the fear Respect for God. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Who's that? That's the Jews. So that every mouth. Look here's what it does. Every mouth may be silenced. You ever noticed that verse before? And the whole world held accountable to God. Every mouth silence. There is no defense for our situation in life. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We cannot make ourselves righteous by doing right things. So what are we going to do? If all mankind is condemned, if I can't fix my sin problem, if I can't move toward God somehow or another, what am I going to do? Then Paul gives them the answer. Here's how you're going to be made right. Here's how you're going to have the righteousness of God. Here's how you're going to be justified. Think about from a courtroom situation. You've been pronounced guilty and you owe a penalty. And condemnation is coming your way. And you can't do anything about it. You are totally helpless. Verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. He said, look, this was written about a long time ago. Now it's going to be made known. Remember what the gospel did, Romans 1, 17? The righteousness of God is what? Revealed. Remember our word? Revealed. 
This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Everybody who believes. There is no difference. Difference in who? Jew or Gentile. Pagan, religious. It doesn't matter. Everybody has the same need. There is no difference. Now, here's the verse that made you memorize as a kid. Part of it, right? For all have sinned and fall what? Fall what? Short of the glory of God. Everybody does it. We got that verse. I got, I got that. I got the condemnation verse growing up as a kid. But I didn't get the cure. And as I've said before, I wish so much they'd made me memorize the whole sentence. There's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the rest of the sentence. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You and I cannot do anything about our sin, but we are justified freely by His grace. Look, when it's free, I didn't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to earn it. It's free. This is what grace is. Now, grace is free, but it comes at a cost. It costs God His own Son. This redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in the forbearance He had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let's just kind of talk through this few verses here break this down just a little bit. A law's been broken. A payment's got to be made. Got it? Somebody's got somebody's to pay for what's happened. And God says, I'm going to send my son to pay for your sin. Remember what Paul wrote in Corinthians? For God made him to be sin for us. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that we, what, might become the righteousness of God. When you and I didn't have a chance of any kind of salvation and no hope, we can't do anything that moves us closer to God. Now, see, it's so hard for us to realize this because, look, let's think about it a minute. We, we always think in terms of, of working and earning and getting better and being successful. That's kind of how we're geared, especially in American Western thought. That's how we do things. But no matter how much I do, I cannot earn the grace of God. It's not that I do a bunch of acts and God tops it off with grace. It's not that. I can't do anything that moves me toward God. We're justified. Somebody paid my price. I deserve death. Can you imagine if that happened today? Someone is on death row and that's what they deserve for the crime they committed. 
And all of a sudden someone comes in and says, I'm going to die in their place. How would you feel that was done for you? But not only did he die in one man, he died in the place of every man who ever sinned or will sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, God's justice was satisfied because the payment for sin had been made. You see, this thing of justice is satisfied, and yet grace and mercy is given. Remember how we said out of the book of John, when Jesus came, he came full of grace and what? Truth. He always has those together. Justice and mercy through the cross always go hand in hand. The payment is paid for my sin, yet at the same time, I don't deserve any of it. That's that's grace. That's mercy. And boy, aren't you grateful for grace and mercy? Can you imagine if we could, I know this is a big screen. Can we imagine if we just threw up one day of your life up here and let everybody see what you did and what you thought? Any volunteers? It's already happened. God's already seen. Everything we did, everything we thought, everything we will do, and he still sent his son to die for me and for you. It is so hard for me to get away from this idea that somehow or another I can do more to be blessed more by God. In terms of salvation, it, it, uh, as we say back home, that, that just ain't true. That old dog won't hunt, Rick. We cannot do anything. We're saved freely by his grace. And he says it's through the redemption that came. That redemption, redeeming, there's a paying of that. And then he says it's by the sacrifice of atonement. Now look, think about this for a minute. Who were familiar with sacrifices? Well, the Jews. They're familiar with it, right? They're raising up the, the lambs and they're getting the doves and they're doing all the things that they do in their sacrificial system because God was using that to teach them about the ultimate sacrifice that would come. So they knew that that dad, he raised that, he helped that little boy and his family raise that lamb. And at the right time, the right festival, he took the knife in his hand and he put it in the hand of his little boy and he taught him what sacrifice was. Can you imagine that? That little boy understood when they killed that lamb and he saw that blood spilled. There's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. I think sometimes we lose we lose the impact of what it means for blood to be shed. See, we, we don't do that. And most of us aren't involved in anything that sheds blood. Now, growing up as a little boy, I was involved in a little bit of that, being raised back home. I saw blood shed from animals for different reasons. I don't know that we teach our kids the value of that. The power of the lamb 
that had his blood shed for many. But when this verse was written, when Paul wrote this to these Jews, they got it like that. Atonement, a sacrifice, and we have to have faith in his blood. And he did it to demonstrate his justice. He was teaching them how that this, there had to be a price paid for his justice to be satisfied. And that took, that took a knife across the throat of the lamb. And it took the blood shed of the Son of God on the cross. And you look at the cross and you say, Behold, the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's how much God loves you. Get it? God loved you and He loved me so much that even when I was out sinning and rebelling, while I was yet sinner, Romans 5 says, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. Christ died for me when I didn't even care about Him. Blood shed. There's no other way for justice to take place. No other way. Blood had to be shed. But aren't you grateful that the body that died on that cross came out of that tomb three days later? Because you see, the story of God through Jesus is a story of redemption of how God satisfied the problem of sin and gave us the hope of eternal life. So when his body came out of the ground, victory was declared. Sin had been paid for and there was hope for the future because all of us are going to die. Our bodies are going to go in the ground. What hope do we have? Well, you know, in fact, I heard this said of a person one time. And I look, I understand they were good people. But I remember hearing the person at a funeral one time, I heard, I heard a guy say, well, I'll tell you what, you know, if old so-and-so didn't make it, nobody did. And I thought, well, then nobody will. Because you know what? Nobody is without sin. And nobody gets to God by being good. You can't be good enough to take care of your sin problem. It's just not going to happen. There was bloodshed. I am saved by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a trusting God, even in spite of all my mess-ups. That's the only place there's any hope. So what Paul tells them, he says, look, I'm going to tell you something. This is how this thing works. The whole world is condemned and without excuse and stands helpless. But God satisfied the law, gave us grace and mercy. It was free. He bought us back. Blood was shed. And we can rejoice in the hope that we have because the body of Christ came out of the ground and your body's coming out too. And that's good news. Amen, Kurt. That's good news.
That's good news because that the bad news is all chapter one and two. The good news starts from chapter three, verse 21 through chapter five, 21, justification by faith. I was going to explain to you the example of that faith through Abraham when he gets into chapter four. But go to it already understanding. I'm not saved because I do worship right. I'm not saved because I go to more church services than somebody else. I used to think this is how God worked. That in order to be right with God, matter matter of fact, here's kind of the way it was. Uh, Someone who was very faithful went to every service. You ever hear somebody refer to, oh, they're faithful. What does that mean? They come to church every time the doors are open. They're faithful. Someone who's just, well, they're pretty faithful. They come more than they miss. Well, they're not very faithful. They miss more than they come. And he's unfaithful. What? He quit coming. We do this and don't even think about it. Justification is not a process. It's not like at school when you had your grades, you know, and you have A's and B's and C's and D's and those other letters, you know. Any of y'all have the bottom half? You know, you know, you know how people brag about they were the top 10% of the class? I was in the part of the class that made the top 10% possible. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. It's like that, it's like I've said before, it's like that little boy come in and said, Dad, said, I'm afraid I've made an F in math. He said, come on, son, be positive. He said, Dad, I'm positive I made an F in math. (laughs) Well, we all made an F in life. But we were declared with an A before we ever began. No process to justification. It is an event that happened at the cross. And man's faith in that puts him right with God. Because Jesus shed his blood for me. Now in chapter 6 and 7 and 8, we talk about sanctification. The process of becoming more holy, looking more like Jesus. And that is a process. But that's sanctification. Justification is not a process. It's the act of God at the cross for me. And I put my faith in the grace of God. Because I'm just telling you, I tried it the other way and it didn't work. You'll give up. You'll give up. I gave up. I I can't live right enough. I can't do enough right. And I was, I, I was raised with the idea that every time I did something wrong, I was lost anyway. And so before long, why keep working that way? <laughs> you know? And I never understood, because I, I got the verse. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I just didn't get the rest of the sentence. That I'm justified freely by His grace through the redemption found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who needs saved? Everybody. How are we saved? 
by the cross of Christ. Next question, are you saved? Have you put your faith in the blood that was shed for you? Have you put your trust in the story of God instead of the effort to be right with God? Put your faith in the righteousness of God, not your ability to do right before God. Who needs saved? Everybody. We will all sin. How are we saved? By the justice and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Last question, are you saved? Remember, Paul just condemned a whole bunch of religious people in chapter 2 that they were not in a relationship with him and they were religious. There are a lot of religious lost people because they've been trusting their church activities. They've been trusting their own ability to do right. They've been trusting other things other than God to save them from their sin. And it doesn't matter what time in life you come to Christ. It doesn't matter if you're the oldest person in this room. It doesn't matter about that. What matters is that God, through His Son, took care of your sins at the cross. Believe that. Remember what we said earlier? It's about believing to be saved, not behaving to be saved. Put your faith in the blood of Jesus. As a preacher, I often wish I had those magic words that I could say and everybody in the room would be moved in their heart to move toward God. Or that I could instantly relieve everybody's burdens. I can't. I can't even relieve my own. Because see, the first person in the room here, that's the sinner, is the one up here talking. See, it doesn't matter if you've been in the church 40 years or 4 days. We're all the same. There is no difference in Christ. We're either lost or we're saved by the grace of God through what he's done in the blood of Jesus. Every one of us. We all have that same need. Father, we love you. Help us to see the value more and more of the blood that was shed. Help us, Father, to understand. I know we can't totally understand how great and deep is the Father's love. Oh, but Father, we want to understand that. I pray, Father, that you would turn hearts towards you. Father, you would help us never to forget the great price paid at the cross for us. Father, please help us to stay away from that old idea of somehow or another we can earn salvation. We know we do not deserve to be your children. But we trust in your story of Jesus. We trust in his blood. 
with trust in your love, with trust in your grace and your mercy. So we bow our knees, Father, in humility, knowing that you are the only one that can take care of the sin in our life. And we submit our hearts to you in all we do. Thank you for your justice and your mercy that came through the shedding of blood. For taking us from being dead to being alive. In Jesus' name, with the help of the Spirit, we pray and the church said, If you have a need, come while we stand and sing.